In August of 1985, the citizens of California were on the lookout for the infamous Night Stalker. They knew what he was capable of and were unable to relax until he was found. The lead detectives on the case, Gil Carrillo and Frank Salerno, felt the same, and now that they knew Richard Ramirez's name, they felt that they were zeroing in. But his capture would not go as planned, and it would be years before there was any closure. I'm Laura, I'm here with my best friend Marina, and this is Grim. conclusion of the night stalker <laughs> oh there's a fourth part no i'm oh kidding God. people i think people would hunt yeah. you down yeah no i would i would already be dead yes because i would off myself yes we <laughs> got we got some complaints about three parts but you know what laura i want to give you kudos for how thorough and wonderful <laughs> these episodes have been i think that people are upset because you have captivated us oh, sure. so intensely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and people just don't want to wait for their episodes but you know what it's worth it it is i do sympathize with waiting mm-hmm. um so i do appreciate that but uh that's all I got to say. And I have to yeah. wait too, Gremlins. Yeah. Like, just so you know, it's like, I don't get a sneak peek. Like, I'm along for this journey with you. So. I mean, so am I, because I did, I don't write all of, like, we don't write them way in advance and then just split it up. Like, mm. I'm, we're, we're like just in time here. Yes. Though, my next case, I'm doing a serial killer and I already have 19 pages of notes. So that I, one's definitely two parts. So, spoiler alert on that. So, yeah. buckle up, okay? Because you're going to have to wait for that one, too. I was going to say, they were like, excellent, we got through the three-parter, now we can't wait to hear something to conclusion in the next episode. And we're like, no, no, you can't. Go back and listen to part one, yeah. or to episode one. Go listen to a different episode, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, okay, so before we get into Night Stalker part three, we have our favorite part of the episode, Ooh. our <laughs> Patreon shout-outs, and we have a ton for this time. Guys, so, we love you so much. It's so cool. I'm we just, love like, you. I'm just in disbelief every time, and I know that... I I say that every time but i am it's true here we are we'll never get over it nope uh so our first shout out is morgan g morgan Yay, g Woo! morgan we love you we love you morgan and next up is vanessa yeah vanessa, vanessa we love thank you, you. thank we love you, you so much samantha k samantha k. Samantha, we, we love, love you. you thank Woo! you lev s lev Yay, s lev. yes thank, thank you. you thank you thank Woo. you Megan P. Megan Woo, P. Megan. We love you. We love you. <laughs> we love you so much. Abby D. Abby, Abby. D. Woo. Woo. We thank love you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Holly H. Holly, Holly H. Yes. We love thank you. you, girl. <laughs> thank we love you. you. Rebecca H. Rebecca Yay. H. We love you. <laughs> we Are love you friends you. with Holly? We, we love you both. Cousins, first cousins. Thank you so much. We don't know. <laughs> and Lisa. Lisa, <laughs> we love you. <laughs> we Woo. do love you. Seriously, thank you. I know we say it every time, but we so appreciate it. It blows our minds that you would support us that way. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who just joined the Discord, we can't wait to chat with you. It's so fun. We love you guys. We love you. So, so much. Now to assault your ear holes. Okay. Mm, goodbye. <laughs> so we left off last episode with the reveal of the Night Stalker's mm-hmm. identity, Richard Ramirez. But just because police knew who he was didn't mean they were able to catch him. I'm upset about this. Yes. But before I tell you how that went down, I want you to know who he was as well. Richard Munoz Ramirez was born on February 28th, 1960 to parents Julian and Mercedes Ramirez. Julian was born in 1927 in Mexico to a very strict father of a large family. 
His, his mother died when he was just 12. As the oldest boy, he was responsible for helping his father. So this is now Richard's grandfather. Okay. Um, Jose with his three brothers and four sisters. His father believed in beating his children, and Julian always got the brunt of it. Jose had likely learned it from his own father. Julian's grandfather often beat him as well, so lots of... A family <laughs> tradition. Yes, probably not appropriate to joke, but not I had to get it all. in there. Sorry, it's early. It'll Usually. get worse, I'm sure. So yeah, I gotta definitely. get it in early. Although I, I am done telling you about all of the detailed murders and attacks. So you know, maybe this is a little better for joking. This, this episode, <laughs> this episode is my time to shine. Is what you're telling me. <laughs> yes, but but no more movie references. <laughs> okay, if you could, can't help. So Mercedes, Richard's mother, was born in Colorado, also to a large family of four boys and three girls. Her family was full of love, but they did struggle financially. When World War II began, her family moved down to Camargo, Mexico to avoid the draft. And this is where she met Julian. Mercedes' family ultimately moved from Camargo to Juarez, which was difficult for the young couple who wrote to each other every day, as Aww. we do. And then ironically, Julian ended up being drafted into the army, where he remained until he got scarlet fever and was sent home to Camargo. Wait, wasn't Julian in Mexico? Uh, yeah, but he got drafted evidently in mexico oh, so that's like why it was Mexican ironic army apparently yeah oh, okay I didn't realize that and i feel like that's really unfair even though that's not mercedes family it just seems ironic that they had left to avoid the draft and then someone she loved got drafted mm-hmm. yeah i'm not really good with history i will <laughs> just let you know that right now so don't ask me any more questions okay. about who was involved in okay. world war ii please <laughs> uh all he wanted was to go to Juarez, so Julian wanted to go to Juarez to be with Mercedes, so he proposed to her in a letter. Both families opposed the marriage, with Mercedes' family thinking that Julian wouldn't be able to provide for her, and Julian's family thinking Mercedes was too uppity. So, okay. Not a mix, but the star-crossed lovers didn't care, and Julian moved to Juarez, where he and Mercedes, at just 19, eloped. Wanting her children to be born American, Mercedes insisted that she and Julian move to El Paso, Texas. They did, and soon Mercedes was pregnant. At the time, in 1949, the U.S. was testing bombs, but everyone, including the Ramirez family, were blissfully unaware of the effects of nuclear fallout affecting the residents of El Paso. Okay, wait. This might explain a lot. Oh, just you wait. Okay. It, that's why I'm telling you all these details. It, it, it does. Tell explain. me more. I, I, I would. <laughs> You're trying. That was the plan. Okay. <laughs> that's what this whole thing is about, <laughs> is me telling you more. <laughs> So by the 1950s, birth defects were more and more present, including the Ramirez's firstborn, Reuben. Reuben was born with golf ball-sized lumps on his head and oh. very sick. But interestingly, the bumps went away and Reuben recovered, so the Ramirez's just never thought any more about it. Oh. And there were no, I mean, I'm sure he did have lasting effects, but nothing that I read um, specifically about it. Wow. So he was okay. Mercedes was pregnant again just two months after Reuben was born. Joseph appeared to be healthy when they welcomed him to the world, but when he was six months old, they started noticing he was crying a lot, like he was in pain. By the time he was one, the doctors confirmed that his bones weren't growing correctly. Oh. And he would struggle to walk the rest of his life. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Making matters worse, Julian had taken an illegal job in El Paso, and in 1952, he was deported, along with Mercedes and the children, despite the fact that they were legitimate American citizens. Oh. The family returned to Mexico, and Mercedes picked up a job at a boot-making factory while Julian worked on the railroad. They had a third child, Robert, who fortunately was healthy. Mercedes' job at the boot factory was to mix the chemicals needed to dye the boots. 
sadly, you know where this is going. Uh These chemicals were toxic, especially when one does not have proper ventilation or masks, as was the case with Mercedes. Okay, so move away from the bomb testing to go to a boot factory. Literally, yep. Okay. However, after six months of working at the factory, she birthed her first girl, Ruth, who came out happy and healthy. Okay. But the exposure was getting worse, to the point where Mercedes and the other workers realized they were getting what they called weekend withdrawals. Like, they would get shaky and headaches and all that that would go away when they got back. Oh, my gosh. And now Mercedes was pregnant with her fifth and final child. This was an extremely difficult pregnancy, with Mercedes having many dizzy spells and discomfort. Her doctor told her if she didn't quit working at the factory, she would lose the baby. So she quit when she was six months pregnant. That's unfortunate for the world. I'm so sorry, because we know who the sixth baby is. So yeah, if yep. she just kept working for the boot factory, there'd for be a lot more sure. people alive. Just not quite long enough. So yeah, okay. Richard was born at 2.07 a.m., miraculously with no apparent health defects. Mm-hmm. But as we know, that's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Richie, as they called the baby of the family, was almost killed when a dresser fell on him when he was two. So he made it through uh, being a newborn and all that. And then when he was two, he had wanted to turn the radio on that was on top of the dresser. And like kids do, decided he would climb the drawers. As he reached the top, the dresser tipped over on him and knocked him unconscious. What is that? Is that the butterfly effect where like if one thing was different? Yep. Oh my God, that's so wild. Yeah. And there's like a lot of opportunities here where he could have just not had the opportunities that he did. You're like, then he almost got hit by a car. No, then li- he was stuck on train tracks. Well, it's funny you should mention all, <laughs> oh no, not those specific things, but literally there's like a series oh of unfortunate g- events. Oh my God. It's like the universe was trying to intervene before ooh, he murdered ooh, everyone. Creepy. Oh, that's real creepy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I don't like that. It's like, I don't like that. The opposite of Final Destination? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but there's like, my movie of, reference. That's okay. I knew that one. I knew that one. So when he was knocked unconscious, he had a huge gash on his head and he was unconscious for 15 minutes, which is like a really long time, I think. That did some brain damage as Mm -hmm. well, probably. And then, so he, you know, recovered from that. A few years later, he was on a playground with his siblings. And although Ruth was his older sister, Richie was very protective of her. Some other kids were trying to bully her while she was swinging. So Richard ran up to stop them. Ruth couldn't slow the swing down fast enough and ended up kicking Richard in the head. And he was knocked out again with another gash in his head. Okay. Yeah. They're all the blunt force, force trauma to the head. Really? Not good. Yeah. Not no, good. no, not good for society. No, no. To say, ugh, to say the least. Yeah. So Richard's quick temper was apparent, not just in his protection of his sister, but it also wasn't just Richard that had the temper in the Ramirez family. Julian was successful in not repeating the beatings he had experienced as a child, but he couldn't suppress anger and often took it out on like inanimate objects. And then all of his boys also expressed or experienced the same temper. So it definitely ran in the family. At least he didn't beat him. No. And it's interesting. Like, I mean, I read in the, in the, so again, the book I read was the Night Stalker by Philip Carlo, which had, I mean, I'm only giving you a sliver of the background. Sure. He did an entire section of the book on him. Um, but it did seem like there was some abuse. Like, I think he just didn't get into it. Uh, but I've read in other places and other articles. Um, and I think in the Night Stalker documentary that's out on Netflix, they go in a little more detail. It sounds like it was not, wasn't great. Okay. Um, and I think, so I think that, he, that anger and that temper, even though it didn't come out directly in beatings, I think it came out in other ways. Mm. Uh, so now back to Richard's child, trials and tribulations. In fifth grade, they discovered he was epileptic 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 if only i could speak <laughs> um, so he had his first seizure while taking a math test oh he was taken to the nurse's office where mercedes picked him up and brought him home the next day at school he had another seizure in the hallway 
So Mercedes took him to the hospital where they confirmed he was epileptic, but said he'd grow out of it. Were they grand mal seizures? Mm, yes. Okay. I think so. I know what you were talking about. I'm just yeah. trying to remember. I can't remember if I read that they specifically were, that they specifically weren't. <laughs> and that seems like an important distinction. Mm, yeah. Um, but he did have daily, almost daily seizures oh, through wow. his teens, but then it began to lessen and eventually stop. Huh. Grim fact, though. He was later diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, which is said to have associations with altered sexuality, hyper-religious feelings, and excessive aggression. So, huh. You don't say. Yeah, exactly. Now, as if Richard's genetic dispositions weren't enough trouble for him, he also had begun hanging, hanging out with his cousin, Mike. Mike, who I'm, I think he was like in his early 20s, it didn't say in the book, had fought in Vietnam and, like many vets, come back with a lot of trauma. Mike covered this by acting like he had enjoyed the violence and death and was happy to share all of the details with his 12-year-old cousin. Mm, mm-hmm. So Mike would tell Richie all about how he had killed dozens of men, raped women, committed other va- acts of violence. He even had pictures of his escapades, oh, including God. a series of a woman performing a sexual act on Mike and then a picture of her severed head. Oh, so, like, my real fucked up gosh. Shit. Yeah. Richie ate it up. He was in awe of his older cousin. Well, as it's, a 12 year old, picture is really too. starting to come together, right? Yeah. It is. And I'm like, kids have a morbid curiosity for gross stuff but like, like that, really but that's beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine like the, you're hearing about the war and you're like hearing this concept that your cousin fought men and people. And that part I can follow and being in awe, but like these were really, and I think he brought home like shrunken heads or something. I mean, like, really, really fucked up things. Um, now that wasn't it, of course. So <laughs> but Mike, wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Billy. Um, Mike was married to a woman named Jesse who did not approve of Mike's behavior. She would constantly nag him to stop sharing these details with Richie, stop smoking pot and get a job. Reasonable requests. Mm-hmm. But on May 4th, 1973 and Gremlins, what do we say about specific dates? They are it's not bad. Good. They it's are not bad. good. Mike had had enough. Richie had come over as usual, gone to the fridge to grab a Coke as usual. When he opened the fridge, he saw a gun and he asked Mike about it. Mike said he might use it later. Richie shrugged and they just began to play pool. That's where you keep guns though, right? In the refrigerator? To keep them cool. Okay. <laughs> so Jesse, who had been out grocery shopping, came home shortly after that and immediately got on Mike for being lazy. Mike calmly walked to the fridge, got the gun and told Jesse he would shoot her if she didn't shut up. She called his bluff continuing to yell at him he pointed the gun at her and without hesitation shot her point blank in the face oh my god in front of richie right Richie was 13 oh yep. my gosh so mike did go to jail for that but richard never told anyone that he was there so like mike was like you didn't see a fucking thing get out of here and he did and never said anything mike obviously was caught but they took pity on him a war hero and declared him innocent by reason of insanity so he was put in a mental hospital mm. now that event understandably changed Richard mm-hmm. that summer. He moved to LA to stay with his older brother. But as you can imagine, LA in the seventies was probably not a great environment for a 13 year old who was already struggling mm-hmm. in LA. Richard learned to break into houses and couldn't get enough of the content available in many of the porn shops. So he just had access to way too many things that were way beyond his age. Yeah. This guy's like the recipe for a serial killer with like the head trauma and like abusive family, like seeing violence. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's like check, check, check. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't write it in here, but he also, um, remembers killing animals when he was a kid. Like it's literally all of the things that you would check off. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
He also began to experiment with drugs, um, and on his LSD trips, he became enthralled with the teachings of Satan. Mm. Now, for some reason during this time, he also chose to have a job, which I say it like that because he was like stealing things and kind of living with his older brother. I don't know why he thought, well, I should have a job too. Good for him. (laughs) Um, But he worked at a local Holiday Inn doing maintenance, which gave him master access to all the rooms. Probably that's why. Mm -hmm. So no surprise, he began to abuse this power. Uh Uh-huh. He started by peeping into guests' rooms from the fire escape, actually. But, of course, that wasn't enough to satisfy him. He soon began entering guests' rooms at night while they were sleeping and just rummaging through their belongings. Which no, I hate that. is so creepy. I hate that. Um, successful, he didn't stop there. One night, he peered through the curtains into the room of a beautiful woman who was settling in for the night. Unable to contain his excitement, he didn't wait until she fell asleep. Instead, when she went into the bathroom, he snuck in. Taking the woman by surprise, he grabbed her and stuffed a piece of clothing in her mouth. Then he got her on the floor and pulled off her underwear, ready to have his way with her. Oh, my God. But right at that moment, her husband, who had just been in the lobby grabbing something to eat, returned to the room. Seeing immediately what was happening, the big man threw Richard off and began beating him. Richard, absolutely. Like, I, if it weren't actually happening to this poor person like it would be great for a movie right um because richard tried to fight back but stood no chance he was like 120 pounds good once richard was subdued the husband of course called police and richard was arrested um he had been beaten so badly that he had to go to the hospital before going to jail and mercedes was called because richard was only 15 oh, when this happened i was thinking yeah. that he was like 18 <laughs> me too holy um, shit but he was being tried as a juvenile so she had to come Holy shit. But when it was time to go to court, the husband and wife had left town. Remember, they were just at a hotel and they wanted to just forget the whole thing. So they dropped the charges and he was let off without any consequences. Mm -hmm. He was caught in the act. I mean, that's not like for people who don't know the criminal justice system, like that's not how it works. Like maybe if they don't have witnesses or whatever, Mm -hmm. I guess. But like, I remember there was like a domestic violence incident Mm -hmm. in, in the apartment I lived in and I had to call the cops and like when they came, because mm. like it was a very violent situation. Mm. And when they showed up after they like finally got there and caught him, the wife was like, Oh, I don't want to press charges. And they were like, yeah, I'm real sorry. Like that's not how it works. Like we have to enforce the huh. law. And that's actually how like the domestic violence statutes and stuff came oh. into play because like they did not do something and a woman almost died. But like, yeah, you can't just be like, Oh, I don't want to press charges. Like it's up to the prosecutor and the police officers. I wonder if it was, cause this was, would have been the seventies. So I wonder if something changed has changed since then. Or, and it could just be know. like, they didn't have the witnesses anymore. Right. So because he right. was a juvenile, like he wasn't going to get something right. much, but like, yeah, for people that huh. see like, I don't want to press charges. Like that's, not exactly how it works well that's good yeah okay so a couple years later about um after about four and a half years in the mental hospital richard's cousin mike was released Mm, he missed him uh yeah it's he got right back into it he wasted no time resuming his training of richard now with a focus of teaching him more techniques of stealth and violence so not just telling the stories but let's let's get you skilled so using his sharpened skills to fund his new cocaine habit on top of the hallucinogens he enjoyed, Richard lived a nomad life in L.A., sleeping in cars and stealing them to get around and all that. He also renewed his devotion to Satan, reading the satan- satanic Bible written by the founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. He was obsessed, even driving one of his stolen cars to meet the author, which, of course, only strengthened his, his belief. To top it off, on his way back, he was arrested for stealing a car and then spent that short time in prison listening to satanic preachings of another inmate. 
Okay. Yep. Just the all put that really focused. right in the pot. Yep. Really focused. Returning to the streets, he was also distancing himself from his God-loving family, and it seemed his fate was set at this point. Another grim fact for you. In addition to sleeping in the stolen cars, Richard's home was at the Cecil Hotel. Like, oh, the Cecil Hotel. MG. Mm-hmm. So I, he was, like, close to Skid Row, too. Yes, he was, which is why, like, I think a lot of seedy things were easy. Wow. Yeah, he was, nobody was really paying attention to him. And and yep. I think I know, I think I knew that, because I watched that Elisa Lamb um, yep. thing, and I think they mentioned that Richard yeah. Ramirez was I, there. I've read a bunch of stuff about the, um, about Ramirez, and I had never pieced those things together, because the Cecil Crazy. Hotel's been on my list forever yeah. to do, too. Um, and just in case you don't know, at the time, the infamous hotel had already had a history of violence, suicide, and murder. It had opened in 1927. Um, it was initially very successful. Then the stock market crash of 1929 hit hard. So the hotel soon lowered its rates. And because it was close to Skid Row, it just drew in seedier and seedier characters. Yeah. So Richard used his 14th floor room as home base while he committed many of the murders I told you about. Yuck. So yeah, that is for sure a grim fact. Mm-hmm. Now, it seemed like Richard had really figured it out. At least he certainly thought so. He had followed the news and knew that they had connected the crimes together, but not that they had connected him as the night stalker who committed them. Uh But as we know from part two, the police were hot on his tail. On August 30th, 1985, a week after his most recent attack, Richard took a break from his typical evenings of rape and murder and decided he wanted to go visit his brother in Tucson. He took a Greyhound bus, not realizing that the police were stationed in Tucson to look for him because they knew he had family there. When the bus pulled in, Richard took note of the plainclothed cops, and although he didn't know they were for him, he was like, nope, I'm out of here. Mm. Got right back on the bus, took a tic- bought a ticket, and went right back to L.A. Oh, wow. Yep. Now, back in L.A., police had correctly suspected that Richard would try to leave, but were completely off on the timing. So they had solely focused on the departures in the terminal. And completely missed Richard when he arrived back into L.A. that oh morning. God. On a side note, maybe it's mm-hmm. because I'm not a criminal, but how <laughs> does one recognize plain clothes officers? I have no idea. I mean, idea. I guess, like, if they're, like, putting their hand up to their ear and, like, talking in devices, but that was also, like, the 80s, so they yeah. probably didn't have that kind of technology, so. I mean, maybe they were, like, too put together. With, like, they military were... haircuts or something, yeah, but, I like, don't know. I, again, I'm not a criminal. Maybe same. like criminals are probably better at spotting plain clothes officers like, than I am. I don't know. They're probably like casing, you know, looking around and yeah. I, but I actually don't know that either. But so yeah, I just I was stuck on that point. Yeah. <laughs> that or maybe maybe Satan had his back after all. I don't know. You know, I'm not. I I've told you before. I'm not discounting that. Nope, based on the mm-hmm. houses he picked and the people he found Still and weird. the window is yep. bizarre. Now. The front page of that morning's paper, which Richard hadn't read yet, was his face plastered to next to giant text of the Night Stalker. So previously, they didn't. They the police had been debating: Are they going to actually say his name and show his picture and all that? Right. They hadn't the day before, but that morning they had. So he didn't know that yet. But people were now on the lookout. So with the heat already stifling, Richard entered a convenience store to get something cool to drink. While he was waiting in line, he overheard some elderly women pointing at him and saying the killer in oh, Spanish. Sh- they're like, bro, your face is all L- the newspaper. Literally. <laughs> so he was confused until he saw what was on the stack of newspapers in front of him. Obviously, forgetting his drink, he grabbed one of the newspapers, ran from the store. But the cashier had already called the police and the chase was on. Uh, bye-bye. He began running through the streets, trying to think of where to hide as he heard the sirens ramp up. He ran through backyards, jumping fences like Ferris Bueller style, um, (laughs) until he ended up at a bus stop, which is great. 
He got on the bus, paid his fare, sat down, took a breath until he looked around and saw the recognition on the face of every passenger. So he's like, fuck this. Uh, Off yeah. the bus I go. Now completely desperate to escape. He knew he would need a uh, car to steal to get out of there. That was just the only way. So he spotted a woman in the driver's seat of a car waiting for the light to turn green. So he ran up, ripped the door open, and tried to pull her out. Obviously, she screamed, and nearby citizens ran to help her. Richard was like, Oop, never mind, and gave up and ran again. I would shit my pants. Yeah. yeah. But in either situation, actually. I yeah. don't like when oh, people no, no, chase no. me yeah. either. The, but also, Even if I deserved it. Yeah, the bus situation, like anything like that, yeah. I'd just shit my pants. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, would just be, you would have a really easy time finding me. Yeah, I'd be like breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Processed breadcrumbs. Okay. Um, so more and more calls went out to the police. At this point, the people knew that they were watching the infamous Night Stalker. Richard knew it too and ran at top speed trying to escape from them. He eventually turned onto Hubbard Street, pausing to take a breath. Bad decision. The residents of Hubbard Street were mostly Mexican-American, and they knew that Richard was Mexican and were infuriated that he would mar their proud heritage with such horrendous crimes. So unaware of this and with renewed energy, Richard began running through backyards again. First, he landed in Luis Munoz's backyard. Luis was grilling, and after demanding Richard tell him what he was doing in his backyard, he hit him with a spatula, and Richard got away again. Next, he ended up in Faustino Opinion's yard. Faustino was working on his daughter's Mustang. Richard, not seeing him, tried to steal the car, but Faustino was having none of it. Mm-hmm. The men fought, and Richard again ran. Good. Finally, he came across Angela de la Tour getting in her car. She screamed but refused to get out. Richard punched her and took her keys. Neighbor Jose Burgoyne heard the screams and ran to help, and Angela's husband, Manuel, also ran to help. He brought with him a metal bar, which he used to hit Richard over the head. Richard jumped out of the car and once again ran on foot. But Manuel and Jose weren't done. They ran after him with other neighbors joining. So this is quite literally an angry mob running after him. Oh my god, I love that you're calling him Manuel, too, because it's probably Manuel. (sighs) Okay, so remember how I said I was really bad at Spanish, and did you know we we did the um, Manuel the language yes. the the language thing at the beginning of part two or part one. Uh huh. Um, I need to go do Babel or, yeah, or like Duolingo. Duolingo. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Manuel. Okay. So I'm Manuel. Ju- so I'm I'm just doing an entire case with Mexican names, and it's completely fine. In all seriousness, I genuinely apologize. I'm apologize i'm horrible at pronunciation i know we so. can't we can't pronounce even the easy ones so no. you gotta cut us a break no fueled by anger manuel mm-hmm. caught richard and again hit him over the head with the metal bar this time richard went down manuel wanted angela to go get his gun but her neighbor talked her out of it instead they called the police so it's it's actually a wonder that he they didn't kill him right then and there. yeah like seriously yeah. Now, though Hubbard Street was in the sheriff's jurisdiction, it was decided that the LAPD would bring Richard in. When they sat him down in the windowless room, he told the sergeant, quote, I want the electric chair. They should have shot me on the street. I did it, you know. You guys got me, the night stalker. Hey, let me have a gun to play Russian roulette. I'd rather die than spend the rest of my life in prison. Can you imagine? The people caught me, not police. You think I'm crazy, but you don't know Satan. Of course I did it. So what? Give me your gun. I'll take care of myself direct quote but then he realized the sergeant was writing down what he said and he stopped talking the cops were like please go on (laughs) you don't say (laughs) uh so now with richard in custody obviously gill and frank were called the detectives were thrilled the night stalker was finally off the street they wanted to talk to him but he refused until he had a lawyer 
Well, they were, he refused to talk about the crimes. So they were like ready to walk out. And he was mm-hmm. like, actually, if you just want to chat, I'm good with that. I just don't want to talk about the murders. So of course they were like, yeah, sure. So he, they began asking about his family and his background, mm-hmm. but Richard seemed to be holding back until Gil switched from talking in English to Spanish oh. and Richard opened up. They talked more about his family than, of course, about the Church of Satan. And Frank was happy with how the interrogation was going, so he kicked Gil under the table as, like, encouragement. But Gil misunderstood, thought that Frank was telling him to stop, and then, like, that totally took out the momentum, and Richard clammed up and asked for a lawyer. So, really unfortunate. Yeah. Also, though, like, you're sort of showing the line if you, like, switch over to interrogation questions after he's asked for a lawyer. True. So, I think it worked out. You want to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it all... They... It all worked out. Yeah. Although they probably had enough even without his confession (laughs) to get him. Before they even asked any questions, I think they got all that. Yeah. Um, So a lawyer he got, actually more more than one, but I'll talk about that in a second. So for the prosecution, the state chose attorney Phil Halpin. It was a great choice by the district attorney's office. Phil was known to be extremely well-prepared and successful in the courtroom. In fact, he had been co-counsel on the Charles Manson case. Oh, wow. And in another high-profile murder case, he had even challenged the defense attorney to a fist fight. So he didn't really mess around. <laughs> How do you have that on your like career roster? You're yeah. like, oh, you know, Charlie Manson, yeah. Richard Ramirez. Yeah. Just another like, day in the office. I was going to say, I'd be like, I think I've contributed enough. Thank you. <laughs> to society. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to retire You're now. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Now, for Richard, he was assigned a lawyer from the public defender's office, a man named Alan Adeshek. Richard would prove to be a difficult defendant. He actually wanted nothing to do with the trial, thinking it would be unfair and that they would just put him to death. Uh-huh. Not wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, he just wanted to plead guilty, which Alan firmly opposed, as did Richard's sister, Ruth. She had come up to L.A. to support Richard, and she was completely against her little brother giving up without a fight. What? Which is tough, but... Also, like, come on. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it sort of depends on the circumstances here. It seems like this seems like a pretty good case to plead guilty and, like, see if you can get some sort of plea deal. What is that Al- Al- Alfred? Alfred plea. Yeah, that's thing. a Connecticut thing, though, I th- oh, is think. Oh, I think. Mm, question mark? I don't know. Uh, but either know. way, he didn't, he didn't do that. Okay. Um, so on September 3rd, Richard was brought in for his arraignment. Phil announced to the court that the state was charging Richard with the murder of Bill Doy, the robbery of his home, the rape of Lillian Doy, and another robbery, one we didn't actually cover before the murders. And he stated that there would be more charges coming. He also requested no bail, which the judge agreed with. So also love good. that you've done like two hours on this guy. You're like, oh, a whole bunch of crimes we didn't talk about. Oh, literally. It, so actually, there's a whole bunch of things too. Um, interestingly, the book didn't get into. I say the book. It's like it's the only book in existence it's the bible on richard ramirez um but interestingly didn't get into this some of the documentaries did about um and i will not go into detail but there were a series of child abductions and sexual abuse that happened right before all of this that they believed that they were connected um and had good reason to believe that and one of the documentaries i watched they basically made the decision not to go after it because they were like, we have more than yeah. enough and we're not putting those children through right, this. Right, right. Um, so oh, it's no. like literally even worse than all of the things I told you there's more. <sighs> yeah. He's worshiping Satan. Was it like very narcissistic because like it is yeah. him? 
Yeah, literally. He is Satan. Awful. Like, I, I, I mean, we put a T some... at the end of that. He is Satan. Satanic. <laughs> he is Satan. Listen, we don't pronounce things good on this podcast. <laughs> I've okay? done real good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've had, we've covered some pretty heinous cases and I really, I mean, there's no, everyone's affected. When I think about the people affected in the case, it's therefore the worst case. Yeah. But this one is. I think this one's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You're welcome. I think because mm-hmm. it it's the most victims we've talked mm-hmm. about with mm-hmm. someone and like he really did terrible things to them too. Yeah. Like it's not just he like robbed someone's house. He did awful things even if he right. left them alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So Phil also coordinated a lineup which would be held a couple days later. All of the survivors of Richard's attacks were present that Thursday. They were visibly shaken, especially when the men in the lineup were instructed to say the phrase, don't look at me, bitch, or I'll kill you. No. Mm -hmm. Yep. Despite their fear and trauma, every single witness selected Richard from that group. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, they had the sketches pretty close too. Like people knew what he looked like. Definitely. There was actually a little bit of drama from the defense on that. They were like, well, how can, you know, people are influenced by the sketches and seeing his face all over, which... I kind of understand a little bit, actually, but having been a defense attorney, I get it. Like you just got to go with what you have, but like also shut up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So after the arrangement and uh, arraignment and lineup, Richard was frustrated with Alan. Again, that's his lawyer. Mm -hmm. Richard was getting frequent migraines and believed he was being poisoned in jail, which there's obviously no, well, I don't know. Maybe somebody did it, but I would poison him, (laughs) but um, they couldn't find any evidence for that. And he felt that Alan wasn't doing anything to help him. He was also still mad at Alan for not listening to him about pleading guilty. And at the same time, an attorney named Emmanuel, Emmanuel. <laughs> that gonna... one, that one actually is, I think, Emmanuel. Okay, so that's unfair. I don't think it's Emmanuel. <laughs> so what? Emmanuel. See, okay. Bizarre. And I'm going to say it 5,000, oh, Barraza, sorry. I'm going to say it 5,000 more times. Also, all the Catholic people are coming after us because it's Emmanuel in the Bible. Like they called him Emmanuel. Anyways, Guys. go ahead. Uh, person a i'm just kidding no um so he had reached out and said he was interested in helping with richard's case emmanuel couldn't actually practice law in california but he offered to oversee alan at no cost to richard okay at least not up front in reality he wanted to get in on any movie or book deals that richard Mm. might get and richard oblivious this just took him up on the offer was he a lawyer in another he was a lawyer yeah oh he didn't do it like pro hoc vj he just <laughs> okay, so I'm already trying with Spanish. I cannot do Latin as well. I'm limiting this to two languages. You just can be like admitted in another state for a limited purpose, like with the supervision oh. of another attorney. You like pay a fee and you can file an appearance pro hoc VJ. I don't know why they didn't do that. I don't know. Actually, interesting. Because he did stay on and like do stuff and helped. So I don't, it wasn't Maybe like it he was... did and they just didn't mention oh, it like that. Maybe. That would be normal. Huh. Okay. I don't know. It's a great question that I would have never thought to ask. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) So in his previous court appearances, Richard had buried his face in his hands and tried to avoid the cameras. But when it came time for Richard to make his plea, he made no effort to hide his anger. He spent the whole time glaring menacingly at Phil and the media, which I'll post some pictures of that. It is he is a scary man. He looks terrifying, yeah. right? I, I, I think <sighs> that image is burned in my yeah. head, and I don't think I've seen it in like a decade. Yeah, it's... Bleh, I hate it. Meanwhile, Alan was telling the judge that they needed more time before Richard actually submitted a plea, and this was granted, so his next appearance would be September 9th. 
Now, during all this delay, Richard was still displeased with his counsel. And although he liked Emmanuel joining the team, he wanted Alan off just completely. He just hated this guy. Emmanuel met with Ruth to consider their options. So I don't think he was the, his counsel then, because they were like literally looking for other lawyers to step in instead of Alan. So huh. I don't know. Um, but Ruth was actually the one to make the suggestion of the replacements, which seems like not the, she doesn't seem like the expert that I would have expected to make a decision on who the best counsel was. Right. Um, first, she, she suggested Melvin Belly, who was a strange choice since his specialty was matrimonial litigation. Mm, that's who you want to pick mm. to be your criminal defense lawyer, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Now, her other suggestion was Daniel Hernandez, whom she'd met in El Paso and knew he was, she just knew him, and he's practicing criminal law. <laughs> She's like, I heard this guy once. Um, pick him. It's quite literally how that <laughs> happened. So they called Melvin in. He had a lot of experience, just completely different, like completely different categories. It's like of a law. pediatrician doing brain surgery. Right, exactly. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So after talking with Richard, who was still determined to plead guilty and now was also refusing the insanity defense, he told Emmanuel that he didn't have time or funds to help and was just like, no, thank you. Goodbye. Great choice, I think. Yeah. And also, I mean, you have the duty to counsel your client, but it's ultimately up to the client whether or yes. not to plead guilty. So yeah. it's almost like they're misrepresenting him in not letting him do what he wants to do. Agreed. And it really would have saved everybody, yeah. honestly, if he had just pled guilty and whatever. Been but done with it. Now, meanwhile, Alan and Richard were just becoming more and more at odds. Now, Alan wanted to keep Richard out of the court completely, like literally out of the courtroom, mm-hmm. especially with his recent poor behavior. This infuriated Richard, who demanded the, that the judge take Alan off his case entirely which I think he can do. Like he can say, I don't want this lawyer, right? Like the lawyer can't be like, I will be your lawyer. Uh, he can, but like if it's a court appointed lawyer, you can't just keep switching lawyers because everyone would do that. But he's switching to not other court appointed lawyers. Yeah. You could hire another lawyer. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's how that all happened. Now to his credit, Alan tried to provide Richard with another option. A man named Joseph Gallegos, also probably butchering it. I apologize. (laughs) Now, briefly, Richard agreed to allow Joseph to represent him, promising again to sign over any book or movie deals to him as payment. Oh, my God. Which is fine. Now, unfortunately, this arrangement was too good to be true. It turned out that Joseph had certainly had experience in the courtroom, just on the wrong side. Oh, no. He'd been arrested 10 years before for shooting a sex worker over a payment for a blowjob. Richard was like, well, that's fine. (laughs) He literally didn't care. And he didn't get disbarred? Apparently not. Okay. I, I don't... They're playing fast and loose over there with the rules of ethics <laughs> in California. Know. I know. But but if you're practicing law in another state, you can't practice it in California. But you want to shoot yeah. somebody, you go for it. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Richard, like I said, didn't care, but agreed to meet with Daniel Hernandez. So that was a Ruth's other suggestion mm-hmm. um, at her insistence. So Daniel arrived with his brother, who was also an attorney, named Arturo. Arturo. I like that name. However, they were perhaps an even worse option. Neither brother had ever tried a murder case. Definitely who you want to represent <laughs> yeah, you. Let alone an uphill battle like this one. Um, but the media had just gotten a hold of Joseph's past, and Ruth was worried that no judge or jury would take him seriously. Probably true. Uh-huh. Combined with the Hernandezes telling Richard that they felt they could win, which, what? Um, he chose them as his counsel. I just want to know what the defense strategy was. Uh, Delay, delay, (laughs) delay, delay, delay. That's it. 
Delay. I know, I know some lawyers. Delay. I know some lawyers, and that tactic has worked successfully yeah. for some of them. Spoiler alert, it did not work <laughs> successfully for them. They did delay a bunch, which we'll get to. Oh, my gosh. Uh, now, even the Bar Association itself knew this was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. In fact, it recommended that the min- minimum criteria for a capital crimes case be that each lawyer have 10 years' experience as attorney of record in 50 trials. Mm-hmm. 40 of them involving felony charges and then 30 of the 40 to have been completed before a jury. That's so many trials. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. Especially like that kind of case seems like a, like a long case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you would want someone to be experienced if they're doing a capital felony. Exactly. But the Hernandez, Hernandez's didn't meet any of these criteria Uh having only five years experience. Oh my God. I would, another situation where I would poop my pants. Guys, I have a very regular, (laughs) regular digestive system. needed here. (laughs) Very regular digestive system. I, oh my God, like five years out of law school getting like a capital. Yeah. Capital and this one, case. this one of all of them, I'd be like, I'm going to be in a movie, but I'm also going to be disbarred. So that's yeah. fun. Yep. <laughs> now they, now their counter argument was that California law mandated that the defendant be allowed to have the counsel of their choice. Mm-hmm. Not wrong. No. So on, in a ruling on um, October 24th, the judge agreed as a show of defiance in this hearing, Richard had drawn a pentagram on his palm and showed it to the court also saying hail Satan which that's another famous picture of him holding mm-hmm. that up. Yep. He then pleaded not guilty and the trial was on. Mm-hmm. Kind of. <laughs> um, as I said earlier, a main component of Hernandez's defense, the Hernandez's defense was delaying the start of trial as long as possible. Uh-huh. There is like, I mean, you'll know obviously far more about this than I do, but there is something to be said for that. Like witnesses forget things, they die. Like, oh, yeah. they won't come in, they change their mind, evidence degrades, like... I can see there being an advantage to that. There, yeah, there is, yeah, there's a strategy to that. But yeah. I, on the counter side, if you're going to submit any witnesses to try to say it was someone else or yeah, true. something like that, the same thing can happen to your witnesses. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. So either way, that was, that was basically their entire defense. They were probably like, oh, wait, we need witnesses? Oh, shit. Did yeah. you call anybody? <laughs> yeah, who can we call is more the question. So they challenged every single type of evidence that Phil tried to bring in, as well as claiming that they needed more time to review said evidence. Uh-huh. The judge did actually rule against the defense on just about everything. Um, and Richard's preliminary hearing was finally scheduled for March 3rd, 1986. So maybe six months after all this was happening. See, that's interesting because my experience doing appeals is that when they have a hefty amount of evidence against the defendant, mm. they'll give them everything. Mm-hmm. Like they'll w- let them win all the motions mm-hmm. because then when it comes down time for appeal, they're like, what are you appealing? Like you literally won oh, every motion, interesting. but the state still had so much freaking evidence against you mm-hmm. that you went down anyways. I think I, from, and I, I genuinely tried to not make this four parts or I would have put all this information <laughs> into, but like the evidence that they were bringing forward, I think it was like pictures of the bodies. It was, Ugh. it was things that clearly would have mm-hmm. contributed to the violence, like a prejudice. Like, and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they really didn't, want it in there like yeah and phil really did want it in there um either way speaking of witnesses phil told the judge that he was planning on putting 140 witnesses on the stand i can't say that, that surprises me that with how many like a lot but. it seems like a lot but i'm we some of the cases we've talked about there's been hundreds true. of witnesses that's true. richard crafts and um that's true debate had yeah i think he had like 80 witnesses yep, yep. So over the next month, Phil and the Hernandezes went to battle again over every detail, each piece of evidence, and every witness. That's so wild. 
finally, at the end of April, the judge ruled that there was indeed enough evidence to bring Richard to trial Mm, and mm -hmm. set the date when Richard would need to enter another plea for his 50 new charges. Mm -hmm. That sounds so exhausting to do all that paperwork. Yeah. The idea of a mistrial, like I think about all that, I would quit my job. Yeah, I, I would get, just quit. I give it to these prosecutors that yeah. try cases for like six months. Yeah. It ends in a mistrial. And then they're like, okay, here we go again. I just, I like, don't think I could do it. I don't think, I couldn't do any of this actually. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, when it's your job, like you just have to. See, that's why I'm Even not a lawyer. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so on May 21st, Richard again pleaded not guilty. And again, the defense aimed to delay the trial as much as possible using the same tactics as before and adding in some complaints about the judge being biased. Oh, wow. They managed to push the start of jury selection to July 21st, 1988, which is over two years later. Impressive. So I, again, if you would like to know all of the reasons why it was delayed, you can read the book, but I am saving you from those details. Impressive. They began with, for jury, they began with 1600 citizens. And after six months a jury and 12 alternates were sworn in on January 10th, 1989. I love how many alternates they picked. Is that a lot? Yeah. I feel you like don't the normally average... have all 12, like it's not all, all of them. I feel like oh. a normal, like normally it's like 12 jurors and like two alternates. Oh, I didn't but... know that. I thought they just had a whole extra jury. <laughs> just no, 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 but I mean, it would make sense for, for how long the trial is going to be mm. like, you don't know if somebody gets sick or mm-hmm. like somebody, like something happens, oh, something, but that's something happens. Oh fuck. We'll talk about Okay. That. Tell me more. And so it began. So Phil gave the opening statements for the prosecution. He told the jury he would take them through the series of crimes, what connected them and how he planned to prove that Richard was responsible. I will not take you through each side's case, or we literally would have been at four parts and mm-hmm. you'd be reporting on my murder. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to hit the high points or low points. I mean, they're sad, but For the prosecution, Phil called on experts to validate the fingerprints matching, the significance of those Avia shoe prints, ballistics, and even the state of Richard's teeth. I mean, they went through everything. For each deceased victim, he put their loved ones on the stand to talk about how they discovered their tortured bodies. He called police and first responders, and perhaps most impactfully, he called the survivors of Richard's attacks to tell their stories. I cannot imagine being in that courtroom. No, and I'm going to tell you some details about it, and it is even like third hand, it's really hard. Or tenth hand, we're really far removed. Oh my gosh. It's, It's hard. So the first was Maria Hernandez. More than three years from her attack, she was now married and pregnant with her first child. She described what happened that night along with, uh, or with Richard following her into the garage and pointing the gun at her, then going into her condo and murdering her roommate in cold blood. Is she the one that the gun hit like her key ring or what? Oh my God. Yep. So Phil had her identify Richard in the courtroom, which she bravely did. Mm -hmm. On cross-examination, Daniel showed no sympathy whatsoever to this woman for what she had been through and asked her to just repeat many of the details. He was trying to get her to admit she didn't know who shot her, but instead it just came across as him berating her. Phil continued to call witness after witness, and with each cross-examination, it was clear that Daniel Hernandez was in over his head. Shocker. Mm-hmm. He was also without the help of his brother, who had taken ill and just rarely was in court with him. Um, so he called for the help of a seasoned criminal defense lawyer named Ray Clark, who joined the team. Okay. Continuing through his witness list, Phil had Carol Kyle take the sand. She looked defiantly at Richard as she calmly recounted the nights, the events of the night that she and her son were attacked. She told the jury, which was made up of seven women and five men, the excruciating details of her sexual assault. 
And Phil ended his questioning by having Carol identify Richard in the courtroom. Is she the one where the son was in the closet? Mm -hmm. Okay. Good memory. Thank you. Very good job. Thank you. When Ray stepped up for cross, he treated Carol like someone who had made a mistake instead of a victim. He tried to show that she had not had enough light to see her attacker and that Richard hadn't actually threatened her son. But this just didn't sit well with the jury. It was clear what had happened. Yeah, this sounds like a bad strategy. It absolutely was. He had no strategy. Like none. Um... So the next survivor to testify was Whitney Bennett. That was the 16-year-old who had been beaten after she got home. With the sparking telephone cord? Oh, my God. Although she couldn't remember the details of the attack itself, she could certainly tell the court about how it had affected her life. She talked about her lengthy stay in the hospital immediately after her attack and how for two and a half years after, she continued receiving medical treatment, including many surgeries on her hands and head. Like he had with Carol, Ray tried to make it look like... So it was between Ray and Daniel that were doing cross. Wait, what happened to her hands? I He like... I was it know. like... Tie, they were like tied up? Yeah, or, okay. all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, there was additional details I didn't go into in all the murders, but he would also like tie people up really, like really aggressively. Well, I remember... Didn't that woman's like... Yep. It, it like slit her skin. Yeah. And then he also would use like these... They're called thumb cuffs. I don't understand why they exist actually, but they literally are like, they go over your thumb. So like, there's all sorts of things he was doing that just injured people on top of all the things I mentioned. Oh, so now Ray tried to make it look like Whitney had also made a mistake that she had been followed on her way home and didn't notice, which first of all, how, okay. If that were true. Right. Are they going for like an alternate attacker theory? I think or... they're trying to say you have no idea it was Richard that did this. Okay. It's like overall their theme. Okay. So they're they're like, you were a victim. We're going to berate the shit out of you, though, for yeah. pointing the finger at my client. I think that's, that's that a, sums it up pretty a well. A great mm-hmm. way to gain sympathy with the jury. jury loved that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up was Samkid Kavananth, who was mm. uh, next to have to tell the audience about her audience. It's the courtroom, <laughs> I guess it's not audience, <laughs> about her horrible ordeal. Speaking so quietly that they could barely hear her, she walked through the events of that night, sobbing as she told them the details about her violent sexual assault and how she had gone to her husband after Richard had left, hoping to find him alive. Oh, yeah. That was the one where Richard said that he was just, he just knocked him out and he had already shot him in the face. Now, of course, the jury was morbidly captivated with this. And even Gil said, seeing her testify was one of the saddest things I've ever been exposed to in a courtroom. Oh, my gosh. To say the least, Ray had no success on cross. Uh Uh-huh. The last living victim to share her story was Sakina Aboath. Already traumatized by having to relive the events of that night, she was also fighting off the flu, which just just seems so unfair. That's not fair. Phil was gentle and caring with her on the stand, and he helped her tell the jury about how Richard's attack had woken her from sleep just half an hour after she'd finished breastfeeding her new baby. She cried deeply as she explained how he had beaten her and abused her. And by the end of the testimony, even the judge had tears in his eyes. Oh my gosh. And that was, he was a known to be a very like stoic judge too. I would throw up in that courtroom. And there was one, I didn't, of course I didn't, it's a classic. I didn't write it, but I'm going to tell you because it's in my brain. Uh Um, They had shown a picture, like they were like, you know, is this your husband and all this. And she said something about like, oh, he beat his you know, he beat his head too. I didn't realize that or some, it was like a revelation of something even worse. And it's just like, it's bad enough. They have to go through all of this and then to like find more details. Yeah. 
So Ray did have questions for Sakina, but only ended up reinforcing the atrocious acts that, um, that Richard had put her through. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing a theme. Yeah. Now throughout the prosecu- prosecution's case, in addition to the details shared by the witnesses, as I said, Phil used photographs of the bodies to depict the severity of the crimes. None of this had ever been seen, obviously, by the public. So it was just a completely grueling trial. Like the judge kept being like, do you need a break? This right. is, you know, really, really rough. By the time the defense gave their opening statements, there was little they could do. Daniel was the one who did the talking, and by the end of the arguments, it seemed like he was like he was sweating so much that it looked like he was going to keel over and have a heart attack. He didn't, but it looked like it. Yeah, that's also not how to present yourself no. to a jury. They're like, damn, your lawyer is sweating through his suit yeah, right now. Literally. Yep. Enjoy prison. <laughs> exactly. Throughout his questioning of the witnesses, he tried, basically his, his strategy was just to poke holes in the quality of the evidence uh, that prosecution had connecting Richard to the crimes. It just, it was not oh, helpful. Oh, like the eyewitnesses? Yep. Like just the like, multiple You didn't have enough light. You didn't know, like it could have been somebody, you know, but yeah. nada. At closing arguments, Phil took four hours to explain all the issues he had with the defense <laughs> and reinforce the strength of his case. By the end of it, he had presented 139 witnesses and 537 pieces of evidence. Damn, he prosecuted the shit out of that case. (laughs) He did. Ray did the closing arguments for the defense and again, just tried to invalidate the evidence, but it was useless. Jury deliberations began on July 26th. However, they were delayed when on August 14th, one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, failed to show up for court. The jurors were recessed until the next day, and when they returned, the judge solemnly told them that Phyllis had been found murdered. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. But really. Dun, oh, my dun, dun. God. Yep. It turned out that she had been killed by her live-in boyfriend. Nothing to do with Richard. Oh, my God. What are the odds? Yeah. So her boyfriend, James Melton, was an abusive man with an explosive temper. When he found out that police had identified him as responsible and were on their way to arrest him, he killed himself with the same gun he'd used to kill Phyllis. Oh my gosh. He left a note saying he'd killed Phyllis by shooting her twice in the chest over, quote, domestic disagreements. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, the defense, of course, wanted to use this as a reason for a mistrial. But um, no. <laughs> well, so the judge put an alternate juror in, gave, yeah. gave the jury a week, and just asked if they felt that they could continue with their duties, and they said they could. Uh-huh. Now, on September 20th, the jury was ready with their decision. They unanimously found Richard guilty for each of his 46 charges. Woo! Yep. Which we knew, but still nice to hear. Following the conclusion of the trial, it was time for Richard's sentence to be determined. Richard was fed up with going to court and flatly refused to put on a defense for the sentencing trial, despite the fact that the state was going for the death penalty. So he was just like, fuck it. I don't yeah, go kill ahead. me. Yep. Knock your socks off. Now, his lawyers and Ruth did all they could, of course, to try to convince him otherwise, but he wouldn't change his mind. Yeah. So Phil went forward with the state's reasoning for wanting the death penalty, and the jury began their deliberations on September 28th. By October 3rd, they had their decision. They had agreed with the de- the death penalty for all of his crimes. Yeah. Not, again, not surprising. I know, like, the head trauma and, like, you know, the mm, trauma of childhood. Mm, but, no. like, this like this was, like, this this was not a mistake. Yeah, like, no. this one, yeah. yeah. Get him off this earth. This is a bad seed. Now, after the hearing, Richard was allowed to address the court. Here's what he said in, oh. in part. It was actually long. He said, quote, you don't understand me. You're not expected to. You're not capable. I am beyond your experience. I am beyond good and evil. I will be avenged. Lucifer dwells in all of us. I don't know why I'm even wasting my breath, but what the hell? For what is said of my life, there have been lies in the past and there will be lies in the future. You maggots make me sick. Hypocrites, one and all. 
Okay. Thank you, sir. Um, then the judge allowed times for the victims and family time for the victims and families to make statements before he formally signed the death warrants. For the sake of time, I won't read obviously all of their full <laughs> statements, but I did want to share a few moving pieces from Virginia Peterson, who was the one who had survived being shot in the face and whose husband oh chased God. him out. Yes. She said, quote, it has been over four years since the attempted murders of my husband and myself, an act which only took seconds yet to this day reverberates with the original horror. We had to move from our home. Christopher, her husband, lost his job of 11 years due to the injuries caused by the bullet. It rests at the base of, base of his skull. The surgeons decided not to remove it for fear of paralyzing him, but he is in constant pain. Nights are the worst. I suffer from a sleep disorder in which I wake up many times a night, sometimes with panic attacks. I scream in terror, not knowing why I'm frightened beyond my control. My daughter was four years old in 1985. I can still hear her screams of terror during the shooting. When we were released from the hospital, I reached for her, but she recoiled at my face saying, you are not my mommy. In kindergarten, she told me that she could understand why people killed themselves because of what that bad man had done. It, that gave, I've read this a thousand times and it just gave me goosebumps again. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so coming out of that in stark contrast to how Richard had affected the victim's lives, part of the draw to his trial was from women who were sexually attracted yeah, to him. Yeah, I, I do not fucking understand. Nope. Um, it gave me Ted Bundy vibes, but these women were like really, really fucked up. That shit happened with Charles Manson though yes. too, didn't yep. it? Like yep. what the fuck? It was, it was like, not only did they find Richard attractive, but they were also obsessed with Satan and they would write to him with how he they wanted him to do these unspeakable things like really real like things i'm not i don't even want to repeat um many of them went to visit him at the jail um just anyway it was bad enough when it was random women but one such person was uh one such uh, is that english one such person yeah was Uh, cynthia hayden who was an alternate juror on the case no no Mm -hmm. She even baked cupcakes for him on Valentine's Day while the trial was ongoing. I hope you choke on them, bitch. I don't know how that was allowed. Like, um, how is she not pulled off? Mm, yeah, I think she probably got in under the radar because... Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. she ended up taking the place of another juror who had to be excused. So she You're did indeed end up on the jury. Fucking kidding me. Um, but as you heard from the outcome of the trial, she did ultimately find him guilty and elected that he be sentenced to death. But, like... Can you imagine if just one person, because I don't actually know, do you need a unanimous vote? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's because he wanted that. Maybe. Maybe. Like he was like, listen, baby, make me cupcakes and convict me. (laughs) (laughs) That should go on a shirt. It should go on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Just fucked up. I just, whatever. So no one was more successful in proving her love to Richard though, than a woman named Doreen Leoy. I think that's how you pronounce that. Leoy. <laughs> that reminds me of the SpongeBob character. Anyways. Which one? I know SpongeBob. It's like the hoity-doity. <laughs> like the little scribble. Okay. You know the little scribble that makes a like Leoy yeah. noise? <laughs> that's how it's spelled. So maybe that's how you're pronouncing it. Okay. We digress so far. Yep. Uh, as I said, this, this episode allows a little more for that. Uh-huh. So the 25-year-old Doreen, and by the way, Richard was only in his late 20s. While okay, I'm happening. picturing him like at least 40. Same. Nope, in his late 20s. Um, she had fallen in love at first sight of his mugshot when he was first arrested. As one does. Mm-hmm. 
Like the others, Doreen began writing to Richard. She also went to the court every day that she was allowed, and Richard was impressed with the depths of her devotion. She visited him as much as she could, and eventually he proposed to her in 1988, although they didn't marry until 1996. Oh, okay. In jail, obviously. I'm um, so sad for society. Well, speaking of marriage, a much happier grim fact that I'll share. Whitney Bennett ended up marrying Frank Salerno's son. Oh. Which, like, touches my heart, because Frank had become close friends with Whitney's father, and after the attack and the family spent a lot of time together. So that one made me happy. That's adorable. Yeah. All in all, Richard's death sentence covered the 13 murders of Jenny Vincow, Dale Okazaki, Veronica Yu, although hers was actually considered second degree murder, which is annoying. Okay. Max and Vincent Zazara, Bill Doy, Ma Bell, Mary Cannon, Joyce Nelson, Leela and Max Needing, Chanaran Kavananth, and Elias Aboath. He was initially charged with the murder of Patty Higgins, which I told you about in part one, but that charge was dropped due to lack of physical evidence. He was never charged with the murders of Peter and Barbara Pam. Obviously didn't matter from the right. sentencing aspect, but frustrating for, I think, for that family. Yeah. However, there were three other murders that Richard is suspected of, but not charged with. In one of his few statements to the investigators, Richard is thought to be responsible for the double murder of Christina and Mary Caldwell. We did not talk about this one. The bodies of the 58 and 70-year-old sisters were found on February 20th, 1985. So right around the time of the, the first murders. Were they just about to retire? <laughs> in <laughs> a yellow house? Probably. <laughs> um, they had been stabbed dozens of times and there was blood everywhere. Yeah. But that wasn't the only crime that wasn't addressed in his trial. In 2009, Richard's DNA was matched to a sample obtained at the crime scene, at a crime scene in San Francisco from over 20 years before. Oh, wow. On April 10th, 1984, so a year before all that, all the cases we talked, or the murders that we talked about, yep. nine-year-old Mei Lung was kidnapped while outside with her younger brother. No. Richard had brought her down to a nearby basement where he beat, strangled, and raped her before killing her. He had stabbed her she to death. She was nine. She was nine. Oh. And this was, so I mentioned there were all these other child yeah. abuse. So he, to our knowledge, didn't murder any others, but he did sexually abuse plenty of other like there was a, a string of these and i think this was right around the same time you're like i'm not going to tell you about them but let me tell you about this super depressing murder of a nine-year-old yeah you're welcome thank you um, let me tell you a little more detail okay he had stabbed her to death with a switchblade and then hung her body from a pipe oh my god allegedly the ever loyal doreen decided this was the straw that broke the camel's back and, oh, yeah. And she left Richard after finding out about his connection to this crime. She's like, the other ones were fine, but the, yeah. I draw the line at child murder. Yeah. Which, I mean, good. People have their principles. <laughs> I get it. Boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah. Um, now, so all that being said, obviously Richard's lawyers appealed his sentencing, but in 2006, the California Supreme Court held, upheld his convictions and death sentence and denied his request for a rehearing. Mm-hmm. It soon wouldn't matter. Richard died from cancer on June 7th, 2013. Good. Yeah. It is almost... Did you say 2017? 2013. Oh, I was like... Yeah, June 7th. So it's still pretty recent, though. Well, I mean, yeah. in our world. Yeah. So, um, so that is how it ended, which was almost really... I mean, I'm glad he's gone. Right. But almost frustrating. He actually would have been put to death in a gas chamber. Is oh. How that would have gone which is interesting. Oh, that's like um, some states still have the firing squad, I think. No way. <laughs> I think so. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't think a lot of people are put to death. Guillotine anymore. anywhere? I don't, 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll apply all of those to Richard, please. But my knowledge of the firing squad is that there's like four, four or five or more people and like one gun is loaded. So the oh, people so on the know. firing squad doesn't know who actually okay. killed That's That seems good. The person. That seems yeah, good for them. For people with a conscience. Yeah, true. You know? Yeah. Ugh. Okay, first of all, I just have to say, you did the damn thing. Like, <laughs> you read the book, <sighs> and the book the was book. wonderful. Yeah, And was. then you told the book in I a did. very wonderful, captivating way. It was way. like a three-part book report. Like, <laughs> I'm really not even sure if I knew how fucked up Same. Richard Ramirez was. Like, I literally I have read that before. super but, yeah. fucked up. Yeah. But, like, yeah. you really brought it all back. I'm so glad. It, well, it's mm, funny. It's not the right word. Yeah. But, I have read that book before this doing it for this case. Uh-huh. And I also didn't remember, I swear I like blocked it out of my head how creepy it was. Cause I, I really, no case has bothered Maybe the Watts family, that one really, yeah, I still that think one about that really one. really sucks. Um, but I, this one really got under my skin and just got into my head. So I'm really glad to be done with it, to be honest with oh, you. Oh yeah. I think it's hard. Like, I think honestly, I think we forget things like that because it's hard for, non-abnormal brains <laughs> to like comprehend it yeah yeah like the exactly. psychology behind behind <laughs> yes it's late <laughs> this psychology behind what type of person it takes yeah to commit those crimes to commit that many crimes yep. to commit like you know we mm-hmm. talk about someone like the heat of passion or like right, they've right. made like one bad mistake like this guy was out hunting people literally yes and then Gl- doing horrendous yes. things to them and not and getting like, like jazzed up yes, about it and in and in it, he fully aware of what he was doing yeah. fully aware and and excited as you said by what he was doing and just like ju- over the top mm. um just a horrible person i don't uh, like it so if you're enjoying grim <laughs> i'm not still i'm, <laughs> I'm still, still not. not i'm still not but luckily there is, there is no part for that's it that's all you're getting i don't want to ever hear richard ramirez again no um i i was i think i forget if i said this in one of the first parts because that was so long ago but i had sent a picture to marina of the book the book way early on and i think all i said was should i oh yeah and yep. uh i'm glad i did but i'm yes. also glad it's over. i'm glad you did too but seriously, if you're enjoying Grimm, uh, make sure you're getting the most in between episodes. You can find us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast and on Facebook, just search Grimm, a true crime podcast. Or even better, as we said, you can subscribe to our Patreon by searching, you guessed it, Grim, a true crime podcast on the Patreon app or website. Depending on the cheer you choose, you'll get a shout out like we did in the beginning. You'll get bonus episodes every month and you'll get access to our supremely awesome Discord server. Whoop, whoop. You can send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. And that's also where you can send case suggestions or DM us, whatever is easiest. And wherever you do listen, please rate us or, and we actually just got a written review that made me really happy. We haven't even talked about it yet. Um, So thank you for that. And thanks for being here. And remember, listen, learn, and stay alive until next time, because the future is grim.